and welcome to episode 49 of Expected Value, the podcast that goes inside the sports analytics world. I'm Paul Carr from True Media. This week, we have a national champion on the show. The men's college world series concluded less than two weeks ago, and Ole Miss won its first baseball national title and the school's second team title in any sport in the NCAA, along with women's golf last year. Our guest is Ole Miss assistant coach Chris Cleary. He just finished his fourth season with Ole Miss. Obviously, the season ended well, but as early as mid-May, Ole Miss was only 7-14 in the conference. They're on the outside looking in at the NCAA tournament for sure, but the Rebels pulled things together. They went on a run that ended not only making the tournament, but holding the trophy. In our conversation, Chris and I will talk about the College World Series experience, how Ole Miss bounced back to make the tournament and win the title, why the state of Mississippi has had so much college baseball success lately, what he does with the team and how analytics are incorporated into his approach, how he uses data to help Ole Miss in the field, at the plate, on the mound, the art of communicating that data to players, how data has evolved in college baseball over the last decade, and where to eat when you're in Oxford, Mississippi. Then producer Sergio de la Esperia will join me to react and wrap things up. Without further ado, here's the expected value conversation with Ole Miss assistant coach and national champion, Chris Cleary. We're joined now on Expected Value by Chris Cleary, Ole Miss assistant coach. Ole Miss won their first baseball national title earlier this week as we're recording. Chris, first of all, congratulations. How are you holding up a few days later? I appreciate it, Paul, and and appreciate you guys having me on. Holding up up well. It's been a crazy two weeks, crazy crazy uh, last month, really, with, with us being on the road for for the entire uh, NCAA tournament, but doing well, good to sleep in my own bed, but uh, just excited and, and and really proud of our guys to overcome what they overcame this year. And yeah, just really excited to be home and, and it was a wild ride. So this was your first College World Series trip with Ole Miss. I was up there for a couple of days and got to see things from a fan perspective with, you know, people packing the lobbies and, and cheering everybody on and off the bus and, and the games, of course. From a team perspective, from you guys, kind of from the inside, what does that experience like from hotel to practice back games what is all that like for you crazy uh just absolutely crazy and and credit to like the city of omaha and the college world series and ncaa for for all they do from you know we we get there and get to get in the ballpark a little bit right after our plane landed and uh we're on the way to lunch and stop by the ballpark and they let us in and the guys got to take pictures and kind of see the dugout and walk out on the warning track and just kind of soak it all in the kind of like you finally made it moment and that was really cool and then obviously the the hotels and, and our fan base which is um you know the, the best in the country just all those people i mean shoot we walked out uh you know the, during the finals and there must have been i mean i say a thousand it felt like over a thousand people in our lobby and out on the street and across the street from where we were staying um and and i know a lot of those folks are you know folks that came from oxford mississippi and a lot of those folks are uh you know probably kids and parents that came from, from, uh, you know, Omaha and council bluffs and the surrounding area. So it's just, it's just incredible. And I think the tournament setting is really cool. You can go and, and kind of take your participant pass and walk over to the ballpark. And like you said, taking, taking games from a, from a fan setting or fan standpoint and kind of enjoy the ballpark and walk around and have the good food and, and scout other teams and so on. Uh, and then kind of nice that, you know, at the beginning they, they spread out the game. So there's some, some downtime to, you know, do scouting or spend some family time and and stuff of that nature. So really cool. Yeah, great atmosphere. I would encourage anyone who can get up there at some point to get up there for some games for a couple days. So Ole Miss was a preseason top five team. 
then May 1st, you were 7-14 and 14 in the SEC after getting swept by Arkansas. And it looked like dead and buried might be overstating it, but not that far off. Then you won 8 out of 10 to close the regular season. You squeaked in the NCAA tournament, maybe the last team in. What happened from that low point to, you know, obviously they have to rebound, first of all, just to get in the tournament and then the run to the title. What happened with Ole Miss? It's hard to put your finger on one thing. We get asked that, or, or I should say, we've gotten asked that a lot over the course of the last, uh, the last, you know, four or five days. And, and I know just from listening to to Coach Bianco's interviews, he's probably asked that more than anything. Um, and it's hard to pinpoint, you know, one thing. I know, uh, you know, give credit to to our coaching staff and Coach Clem and Coach Laugh and Coach Lartigue and and obviously Coach Bianco for just you know, staying positive and, uh, and kind of reiterate, uh, reiterating to our guys to believe in themselves and believe in, uh, you know, one another. And, and coach says it all the time, but tells our guys to be where their feet are and, and win this pitch and win this inning. And, uh, you know, when, win this game, win the day today, uh, before you worry about, you know, the stuff down the road. So credit to, to coach Bianco and that. And, uh, we had, you know, uh, an Ole Miss guy, an Ole Miss alum who played here, who won a rookie of the year and a, a world title with the Cubs, Chris Coughlin, speak to our team. Probably around the time we were struggling. I remember he spoke at home, and I don't remember the exact date. It was probably uh, mid to late April, so somewhere in, uh, you know, that run where we were 6-12 and 12 or 7-14, and 14, whatever it may be. And his message was really good, I thought. He, he kind of just, you know, told our guys to, same thing, be where your feet are and, and enjoy the moment and, uh, just remember what the end goal is. And Coach Bianco tells our guys all the time, you know, you're here to win a national championship. And, and that's what, you know, Coach Coglin reiterated with our guys. Or I'm sorry, Chris Coglin reiterated with our guys was that, uh, you know, you're, you're not here just to make the conference tournament. You're not here to make a regional. You're here to win the whole thing. So, so go do it. So that was uh, pretty incredible. Really, really cool listening to, to his message for sure. So another question that I'm sure you've gotten a lot recently Mississippi State wins the title last year. Southern Miss, really good, hosted a Super Regional this year. You guys win the national title. Uh, what's in the water in Mississippi? Or why is baseball uh, so good and so popular in Mississippi for those of us like me who have not been there yet, who don't have that firsthand experience? Yeah, um, I don't know. And, and really quick, if I may, I got to give credit uh, on the last question too before we move on. I mean, it would be uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention our guys and, and our really our seniors and upperclassmen, Tim Elko and Justin Bench and, and Grammy and Brandon Johnson and the Max Chofies and Derek Diamonds of the world who kept everything together in the locker room. Uh, so credit to those guys as well. Um, but yeah, what's in the water in Mississippi? I have no idea. It is, it is incredible. Um, just, just the support, the fan support and the pageantry and everything that goes into, to, you know, college baseball and really college athletics in the state of Mississippi. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I think the main thing, there's no pro teams here. So you have, you know, the Memphis Grizzlies, a basketball team up in uh, up in Tennessee, and, and there's a couple teams down in New Orleans and some in Florida, but nothing here in Mississippi. So I think people kind of latch on to, uh, you know, the college landscape. Um, and I think, you know, they're, they're fans year round. It's not just, uh, you know, the baseball season professionally from April to October, and then it's over. Uh, you know, if you were in a city with a, a pro baseball team, um, it's, you know, football and basketball and baseball. And so you're locked in year round. I'm sure the climate helps. Um, the facilities are incredible. And so, you know, people flock to, to Swayze and to, uh, to Starkville and, uh, you know, down, down in Hattiesburg and they're getting, you know, five, 6,000 a game and, and we're getting 10 plus and the state's getting 10 plus. So it's, it's wild. That's great. Yeah. I would encourage people to check out, there's a video tour of the facilities that we'll put in our show 
notes, uh, YouTube link that it's, it's very impressive. Uh, I was unaware of how just the caliber of facilities, especially in some of the big college baseball schools. So it's very cool. So let's take a step back, look at your role with the team, how you use stats in the process. Just broadly speaking, what do you do as official title volunteer assistant coach? What's your uh, role look like in that capacity? Sure. In, in terms of using stats? Yeah, just kind of a little bit of what you do overall and specifically how you uh, use the numbers to get ready for, say, a given week. Yeah, sure. Um, so, so I'm in charge of scouting reports here, um, and there's a number of things that I dive into uh, each week. And, you know, we'll print off the report usually the day before and give it to Coach Bianco and our staff. And, uh, you know, he'll watch his fair share of video as well and uh, his preparation because he calls the pitches. So ultimately he's making the decision on, you know, what we're throwing and what counts and so on. But, um, you know, stuff, stuff that I look at a ton, like swing rate, <clears throat> I think as you're trying to evaluate hitters, uh, you know, are guys more, are they patient? Are they, are they going to work counts? Are they going to see a lot of pitches or are guys going to swing from the get go? So, so swing rate and walk rate, I think are two things that like the, usually the first thing that I, that I look at when evaluating hitters. Um, and then for me personally, I coach the outfielders here. So I'm, I'm looking at, you know, how much pop does a guy have? Are we going to play, you know, a little deeper? Are we going to play a little more shallow? So like extra base hits per plate appearance. Um, I look at, you know, in, in putting on a scouting report, like batting average against slugging against uh, certain pitches. So like, how does a guy hit, hit velo 90 plus, how does a guy hit, you know, fastballs and changeups and breaking balls. And, um, you know, I think, you know, for the most part, guys usually struggle more with, with spin than anything or changeups off speed than anything. Uh, and so I might, might note that on the report, um, their chase rate, how much are they chasing out of the zone? Are they going to be, you know, super disciplined, like a, you know, for us, like Jacob Gonzalez, walked more than he struck out this year um maybe even close to two and one uh two to one i haven't really looked at it but uh lately but uh are they going to expand the zone and so for that you know we kind of evaluate all those things and then from a uh hitting standpoint evaluating the opposing pitcher we look at uh you know just percentages and different different uh different counts is a guy going to throw you know pretty much 90% all fastballs when, when he falls behind, um, or is he going to continue to mix through, through counts? Um, and then just see, you know, tendency wise, what he's throwing in, in certain counts, uh, as well. And then I guess kind of the last thing would be, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, just, uh, heat maps, both offensively and, and from a pitching standpoint, looking at, you know, as we're trying to pitch guys, where do they, where do they do damage? Um, you know, whether that's inside half of the plate or outside half of the plate or up or down. Uh, and then the same thing, you know, from a pitching standpoint, when we're, when we're looking like to give our hitters cues, like, is a guy going to ever come inside? We faced a guy, uh, you know, Carson Palmquist with Miami in the regional, who's just going to live away to righties. And so I think that stuff's important. So that's kind of what we look at uh, or, or what I look at, I should say, when, when evaluating uh, and putting together reports. I want to ask about the fielding part first. Uh, so obviously the simple thing is you look at a guy's an opposing hitter spray chart and you kind of place your guys accordingly. Uh, it's not that simple though. What you kind of touched on this, but what other information goes into that, whether it's from the hitter perspective or your own guys, what else do you look at when you're trying to figure out where to put your defenders? Yeah, I think it, uh, I mean, count obviously has a lot to do with it. Um, I think you're more likely to move guys, uh, you know, with, with a two strike account. Cause a lot of guys, you know, you're taught, um, uh, you're taught to, to adjust, whether that's a physical adjustment, whether you spread out your stance or you box adjust, you move up in the box or whatever that may be. Um, you, you choke up on the bat. And so guys tend to lose, uh, you know, 
lose some swing speed, I guess, for lack of a better way of putting it. Um, and so they may not, you know, make as flush contact. And I wouldn't say that's everybody, but I would say that's that's some guys. Um, and so you might bring an outfielder in or, or adjust an infield over because, um, you know, I think most of us offensive guys are teaching more of a, a backside approach or see, see the ball a little bit deeper uh, with two strikes. And so count has a lot to do with it. I think you kind of learn from previous ABs. There have been guys where, uh, like as an outfield coach, I might have, you know, our outfielders shaded slide oppo and the guy comes up and I feel like he wants to pull the entire time and I don't understand how he's ever hit a ball uh, to the opposite field. So you might you might learn off of previous ABs and, and adjust from there. And kind of on the flip side, if so you're looking at your own batters, you know, you know what their spray tendencies are. You see how the other team has positioned them. Do you make adjustments from there? Like, do you worry about your own guys in that sense, or you just kind of let them do their thing? Or what do you do when you're seeing other teams maybe put in a, a good shift against them? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if there's anything you can do really. And just me personally, I, I mean, hit the ball over the wall, I guess. Um, they, you know, they're, they're not, they're not positioning guys, you know, 380 feet away over the right field fence. So there's nobody out there that's going to catch it. Um, but I. I think you get in trouble when you try to manipulate your approach and maybe manipulate uh, manipulate your swing path, um, and so I think it can get you in a lot of trouble. So other than maybe you know dropping down a drag butt uh, for for a lefty that like our Kevin Graham or Jacob Gonzalez that might do that once in a in a blue moon, um, I think you just stick to your approach. Yeah, and from you talked about just the heat maps and stuff like it's you know relatively straightforward you see the weaknesses in another hitter or something, if you're looking at your own guys and you see, you know, they're missing a lot of pitches in a certain place. Like where do you go from there? I mean, you, you have the data. What's the kind of the next step from a coaching standpoint to try to uh, change or, or fix something that looks like a weakness? Yeah, I think that uh, it probably depends on the guy. And I think, uh, you know, our hitting coach, coach Clement, uh, Mike Clement knows, uh, knows our guys better than, better than anybody. And so he knows who, Maybe like, hey, we're we're not going to touch because um, we know it's gonna it's gonna all even out and kind of kind of hard too. Like we're dealing with a small sample size in college athletics versus you know in pro ball. You're when you look at the data, it's it's you know 500, 600 abs that you can look at and evaluate players on. Um, but I think just make them aware, like make them aware that hey, you know you're struggling with pitches on the outer half. Like you need to you know you need to really open up and use the whole field um, or focus on a whole field, uh, you know, approach um, or whatever that may be. I think you just got to make them aware and hold them accountable that way. How do you communicate something like that to players? I mean, do you show them a heat map? Do you show them stats? Do you not show them anything and just talk to them about it? What's the, how do you approach getting information, whether, you know, positive or negative off to a player that way? Sure. Um, I think every team's probably different. And and truthfully, um, I know, you know, we're, we're talking a lot of data and analytics. We don't, we don't use a ton of it in terms of communicating it to our guys. Um, I think, you know, internally in our staff, we look at all that stuff a ton, um, but we don't necessarily communicate that to our players um, uh, where we're showing them like a heat map. Like, I don't know if, uh, you know, we've shown a hitter a heat map all year or shown uh, even even our pitchers like a Dylan Delucia, we're not showing him, you know, Peyton Graham from Oklahoma, his his heat map. Now I'm using that, you know, in a scouting report. But for us, our our, our pitchers and hitters separately, um, you know, in groups, we'll sit down uh, the, the day of our first game. So like when we played Oklahoma in the, the finals, uh, we'll sit down the, the morning of uh, of game one and and uh, Coach Bianco and Coach Lafferty will meet to go over their hitters and we'll go through every hitter and, uh, you know, kind of break down 
you know, the approach versus that hitter. Um, and then the same thing with, with the pitchers. Um, you know, Coach Clement uh, will sit down with, with our hitters uh, and he'll go over, um, you know, Cade Horton or, or Jake Bennett, whoever we're facing uh, from Oklahoma, he's going to go over, you know, their their approach and like, hey, you know, he may live away or he's got some ride on his fastball. So we're going to push the fastball down or he throws, uh, you know, a fastball with a lot of sink and the breaking ball is a hard downer. So we're going to we're going to swing to the bottom of the ball or, or try to get underneath it or whatever that may be. Probably more uh, more verbal uh, communication than anything. Um, and, and then through video. I guess the, the visual part would be through video, uh, not necessarily showing them them heat maps. Uh, like I said, we kind of use that more internally, um, but showing them video of, you know, what does the pitcher look like? What does the shape of his pitches look like? And so on. Okay. So, so you'll take the information and basically translate it into baseball talk and say, all right, you know, pitch this guy low and in because he never hits the ball there. He misses a lot, something like that. And then you're taking, so that's what you're gathering from the data, from the graphics, and then translating it into baseball more or less. Yeah, I think, uh, and our staff does a great job, I think, of just keeping it simple with our guys. I think you could sometimes dive in too deep, and, and not that our guys can't handle it at all. I think, you know, they see the data, they know it's there. Um, like, I see our guys, uh, you know, all the time go up to the scouting report that we post in the dugout and look and see, okay, this guy's, you know, 55% fastballs, uh, you know, overall, or maybe he's 90% fastballs first pitch. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to really sit fastball and kind of cheat to it first pitch. Um, so I, I know they know it's there and they know it's pretty prevalent in the game today. Um, I just think in general, when we're speaking to the group as a whole, we try to keep it simple. Yeah. So what do they come in kind of expecting to see? Cause I mean, obviously data is much more prevalent at the major league level on TV, even the college level now. Uh, are they coming in looking for information or at least those, you know, general tips that you give them? What do, what do kids come in? They're coming straight out of high school, coming to a major college program. What sort of data do they expect or, or look to find? I know, uh, you know, it's in the recruiting process, I think they understand what they're getting into. Um, I know, you know, Coach Clem will, will tell like the hitters that, that we recruit, uh, or excuse me, that we recruit. Um, we don't dive into a ton of like data and analytics. We have a, we have a hit tracks we use here indoors. We, you know, we have a track man out on our field. Um, we don't we don't necessarily use a, a blast motion sensor uh, or any of that stuff. But now again, we we look at it from time to time. Uh, but that's not huge in our program. And he's got kind of his his core philosophy um, and and his Wolfpack philosophy that we could get into on another day. Um, that I think is really cool. And he groups hitters into buckets. Um, and I think that plays at our level. Um, and then from a pitching standpoint, I think it's a little bit different. We do dive into uh, more of the data and the analytics and, uh, you know, kind of developing an arsenal for a pitcher and developing uh, their repertoire. Um, our, our ops guy or one of our ops guys, Chris Godoris, was, was in pro ball before he got here and has been here, I think, for, for like five plus years now. Um, and he, he sits out in every bullpen um, with one of our student assistants, Michael Leader, and they uh, – they will stand right by Coach Bianco and right by Coach Lafferty and kind of kind of talk to them about like, hey, you know, his his extensions here and um, probably stuff that I don't even quite understand um, and, and try to help help our coaching staff understand and help our pitchers understand like, hey, this is what you need to get your tilt to if you're going to have more right on a fastball. This is why, you know, your vertical break isn't isn't what it is. Um, and so we look at that probably more from a from a pitching standpoint um, in, in shaping pitches and help develop pitchers than we do, than we do offensively. Um, and so I think, you know, that's, that's uh, relayed to the guys through the recruiting process. So they kind of know what they're getting into. Yeah. It seems like uh, the, the pitching lab thing, you know, whether it's a 
how formal the lab is or something. It seems like that's a big thing that's sprung up in the college game over the last few years to yeah, shape pitches, work on your delivery, things like that. Yeah, no doubt. We, uh, I mean, we have a edutronic camera and, uh, and obviously, uh, you know, we've had driveline out, I think, uh, maybe two falls ago to kind of evaluate our guys and look at our guys and help them. And, um, you know, pit throw to wrap sodos and, and use TrackMan uh, all the time. Um, and so, like I said, I think, you know, from a pitching standpoint, we're, we're more geared into all that stuff than, than hitting wise, but yeah, definitely prevalent in the game today and uh, definitely important. Yeah. I've been impressed as, as true media has gotten more into college baseball this year. And I've learned a lot more about it at how far along the top colleges are. And they're right there with any minor league, even major league team in a lot of ways. Uh, so you've been, I mean, you graduated from college about 10 years ago and have moved up uh, the coaching ranks. How kind of a, an, self-evident question but how have you seen the use of data availability of data change just in 10 years it's not that long but it seems like it might be light years in terms of baseball technology yeah it's amazing it uh it doesn't seem that long but i feel like 10 years ago i mean when i played and and granted i played at a small division three and then nai school uh i don't remember our coaching staff ever talking to us about data and analytics there were no scouting reports and, and again maybe it's because we're you know a low budget school and uh you know we're not sharing scouting reports with other teams but there was no talk of uh guys swing rate or, or vertical break there were no rap sotos there was no track man uh and even you know when i got into division one baseball I, I feel like my first couple of years there was none of that you'd trade a scouting report uh you know with with common opponents or whatever um and and you know, you had limited video that you'd try to look up online on YouTube or like the watch ESPN app. Uh, but there was no, you know, there was no true media. There was no uh, looking at a guy's walk rate or ISO or, or uh, you know, vertical or horizontal break on TrackMan or any of that. Um, and then I think my maybe my second or third year uh, when I coached at Butler University, Synergy came out um, and you could, you know, you could start to click on a particular pitch in the zone and see you know, what that looked like. Um, and, and so we've come a long, long way from, uh, from, you know, 10 years ago. And for you, how was that transition? Was it you know, very easy? You're like, oh, this is clearly useful. I'm going to do it. Was there a little hesitancy or, or just kind of a natural adjustment period? What was that transition from, you know, basically nothing to where you are now? Like, yeah, I think, I mean, I think all the, the data and, and the analytics and the video is incredible. Um, and I love it. I mean, I think the fact that you can pinpoint uh, you know, factual evidence, um, instead of just, I think, you know, in baseball, there's a lot of like, I'm just going to go with my gut here. Uh, whether that's, uh, like, do I lay down a bunt here? Um, and now you can, you can look at the hard evidence of, Hey, it's the seventh inning. If I lay down a bunt, um, you know, my percentage chance of scoring one run probably goes up, but my percentage chance of scoring more than one run in that inning goes way down. Um, the fact that you can, you can see all that stuff now, uh, is just incredible. And so i I mean, I think I bought in uh, right away, um, maybe maybe more than others. I don't know if that's good or bad, um, but I, I think all the, all the data is great. I think it uh, it's going to improve college baseball and, and professional baseball, and um, the game is going to continue to grow because of it. So as I was scrolling your Twitter feed, I found a couple years ago you did a case study of all the Cubs infield outs in 2019, just to see where the outs come from. We'll put a link in our show notes about that too. What did you learn just from, from that case study? Yeah, that's, uh, 
that's what COVID did to us all. I sat in my uh, in my living room with the TV off and trying to find something productive to do, and uh, I, it must have taken me two weeks to do that, and probably spent eight hours a day doing it. But I had nothing to do uh, during COVID other than taking my dog on walks. But um, yeah, it was fun. I just uh, you know I'm super intrigued by uh, by like practice in the game of baseball and what what we're working on in practice and what's going to make us better. Um, and so I think you know, the hard evidence of what's going to make you better. Uh, you know, you try to figure out like what actually happens in the game. Like, should we practice, practice pop-ups more as an infielder? Should we practice double play feeds more as an infielder? Or should we just take round balls and throw the ball to first base? So I was kind of intrigued on, you know, exactly where, where infield outs came from. And so, uh, you know, through, through video and, uh, you know, baseball savant, which I highly recommend anybody who's kind of getting into the game today and getting into coaching should check out baseball savant. Um, or I guess true, true media as well. Um, should, should dive right into that. And, uh, you know, through those avenues, I kind of did that research study. Was any takeaway that, you know, adjusted whether what you're doing in practice or anything like that from there? Uh, you should not take fly balls ever as an infielder. Um, and I kind of, I kind of joke about that, but I think it was like, uh, you know, 4% of infield outs come from, from fly balls um, and, and maybe less than that from like tag play. So it, it was pretty much what you thought it would be. Um, again, I was just curious the exact, uh, the exact data behind it. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And like I said, we'll put a link in the show notes to, to see the graphics that you came up with. All right, we're going to wrap up things up with our playing favorites segment where we go through this number of your favorites, get to know you a little bit. So what's your favorite number and why? Yeah, my favorite number, uh, 36. It's the number I wear this year um, and just happened to be open uh, last year when I moved up, you know, from the ops roll here. Um, I, growing up, we were huge fans. of. I, I grew up in Fresno, California, huge fans of Fresno State baseball. My parents uh, sat at Jeff Weaver's table when he was a freshman at the, like alumni dinner that they had um, there before the start of the season. And, and Jeff obviously wasn't really known back then, but uh, walk-on kid and um, – didn't think he was going to get a whole lot of playing time and ended up being an all American and, and a big leaguer and won a world series championship with the Cardinals. So always looked up to him and, and uh, that's where I got 36. Nice. Who was, maybe that answered the question, but who's your favorite player as a kid in any sport? Yeah. Um, probably Chipper Jones. I, I, I'm a Cubs fan and loved watching Greg Maddox pitch. So he'd be a close second, but I, I don't know something about Chipper and his swagger and uh, like the ability to to switch hit. I thought was amazing and and uh, obviously you saw from from my Twitter feed. I guess I I love infield play and uh, you know love to continue to dive into infield play. And so Chipper, you know he could really pick it over there at third base. And so uh, I guess in in my childhood in the '90s he was you know one of the best there was. Yeah, I enjoyed his book too. Ball player came out a few years ago. It was was very good. I'd recommend it to people who are into baseball. Yeah, I got I got to give that a read. Yeah, favorite. Do you have a favorite place to eat? So someday I'm going to get to Oxford. Favorite place that I got to go in Oxford to eat? People here would probably kill me for 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 my answer because I'm I'm from the West Coast, so we like our fish and we like our uh, you know Mexican and Asian fusion and all that. Um, there's a place here called Jinsei. It's got like a little bit of everything, but but known for its sushi uh, that I love, um, and a place called Rice and Spice that's uh, I guess it's Thai, um, but those are two of my favorites. So not really your typical Southern food, I guess. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, I hope you don't get in trouble for that one. Uh, you have a, a nerdy, nerdy thing you track, nerdy stat or something that is one of your favorites. It's hard to say exactly uh, if there's something I track on an everyday basis, but our, um, 
one of our ops guys, uh, I mentioned him earlier, Chris Godoris and I just over the course of the last couple years, for some reason, we started looking at, uh, like we, we hit four home runs in a game. I'm guessing maybe five or six times last year. And I think we lost every game. Um, and then this year, I think, I think we did it a couple times and it was like 50, 50, but, uh, like Stanford, for instance, hit, uh, I think they hit eight home runs in game one of their super regional and they lost. Um, it's just wild to, to look at that. And like, how do you, how do you hit four home runs in a game and lose? And I feel like our winning percentage here, since I've been here in games, we've hit four home runs, uh, especially the last couple of years is like 20%. And so that's, that's pretty incredible to me. Um, but we did hit four home runs in game one of the finals against Oklahoma, I think. And, and we won. So I guess, I guess, uh, I don't know. Who knows what to think? Yeah, it's baseball, small sample sizes. Things get weird, for sure. Yeah, no doubt. And I find, so far, at least, do you have a favorite thing that's happened as a result of winning the College World Series? Uh, just super proud of our guys. Uh, I don't know if there's any one thing, but to, to you know, to be where we were um, and for those guys to keep the locker room together, I think we've, you know, we've all been on our handful of teams, whether that's, you know, high school or travel ball or, or college, where it, at some point you're you're going to be seven and 14 and you're not going to be playing well. And for those guys to keep believing in, in themselves and, and one another and keep trusting each other and uh, just have that belief to keep showing up to the field every day, just super excited for them. And, and really, I, I mean, excited that we got to experience Omaha and, and that college world series for two weeks. I think, you know, uh, you, you're only guaranteed, I think five days, uh, five or six days from the point you get there to, I guess if you were to go to and out, um, and was just excited to, to be able to experience Omaha. I, I coached at Creighton, uh, before I was, I was here. And so, you know, was there and, and was on actually the grounds crew for the world series. So, um, I kind of experienced all that was excited that our guys got to experience all that as well. That's great. What a great run and what a great way to do it. So Chris Cleary, congratulations again, Ole Miss assistant on the national title. And thanks for joining us here on Expected Value. Yeah, thanks for having me, Paul. Back in the True Media Studios, I'm Paul Carr. Thanks again to Chris Cleary for joining us on the show. You can follow him on Twitter at ccleary05. Check our show notes for links to that account and to an Ole Miss facilities tour, which again, very impressive in the study Chris did on the Cubs infield batted balls and more. Joined now by True Media producer Sergio De La Espriella. Sergio, what did you take away from the conversation with Chris Cleary? Well, first, um, I want the audience to kind of get a peek behind the curtain not only did Paul butcher my last name three times before getting that take correctly, uh, he also loves to do this thing where he tells the guest of our podcast that I am a Florida Gator fan and alumnus after we're done with the interview as as to prevent any perceived biases by the producer and such. So just a little peek behind the curtain there. Especially, we don't tell an Ole Miss guy that we have a Florida Gator producing the show until we have the show in the can. I think that's just a, a smart move. Yeah, and honestly, like, He's a national champion, so I, I frankly don't think he cares. <laughs> that's, right. That's, that's right. Right now, it's like, whatever. Florida didn't do anything best this year. That really matters. Um, no, I, I really liked uh, the conversation with Chris. And what spoke to me especially was how important the university sports are in the state of Mississippi. As someone who went to an SEC school, I lived in Gainesville. And Gainesville is very different from Orlando and South Florida, where I grew up in the state of Florida where everything truly revolves around the University of Florida in Gainesville. And 
I kind of got a taste of that, but you still have people from Tampa. You still have people from Jacksonville, from South Florida, Orlando, places with professional sports teams. In these college towns like Oxford, Mississippi, um, like Starkville, Mississippi, um, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, Auburn, Alabama, everything is about the university. And it's just such a good sign. And it shows that baseball can be healthy and flourish in places where people probably wouldn't expect it. I mean, you have Ole Miss and Mississippi State drawing in thousands and thousands of fans each year. I think that that's a very important thing. And a championship in a major sport like baseball is going to do wonders, not only for Ole Miss University, but the state of Mississippi as a whole. So I thought that was really awesome and really interesting to see and interesting to hear Chris's perspective on that. And then I also liked how he talked about the evolution of data, you know, back when he was a player and such, when he was breaking into coaching, even compared to now, you know, he said that he coaches outfields and the positioning of of players like we have in our uh, true media, again, a peek behind the curtain, one of our one of our features, the optimizer where you can set up exactly where the ideal um, defensive placement is in the outfield and the infield, I think. You know, the evolution of data, especially for things like that, where we've seen this shift revolution in the past few years, and we've also seen people go the complete opposite way where they want to get rid of the shift. I think it's an, a very incredible thing to see, and especially at the collegiate level where, and again, in states tying it back in, states like Mississippi, where the collegiate sports are treated as professional sports, you know, especially in the South. Yep. Yeah, and I would encourage people to, you know, Google a YouTube video, and we link to the Ole Miss facility tour on it. In the show notes, I mean, A&M, LSU, Vanderbilt, the facilities these schools have at the baseball level is pretty crazy. And most of them are pretty recent. And yeah, Ole Miss is selling 10,000 tickets to every game. And it's wild. So college baseball is just going to keep rolling. College softball is in a very similar spot uh, where you're just getting more fans, more interest, which equals more money, which, you know, it just keeps building on itself. So uh, if you can get to you know, a big time game, a college world series, any of those things on the baseball or softball side, I encourage you to do that. Um, I liked to follow up on the stats thing. And basically what he said, and we've talked about this before, and I don't remember where I originally heard this quote that I'm probably going to butcher, but it was basically, you know, tell someone what the stats say, and if it's necessary, use numbers. Uh, and it's not to say, you know, kids can't handle stats, but sometimes the most effective way is to, you know, tell them what they've been hearing their whole life practicing baseball, you know, to, whatever, open up your hips more on the swing or when you're at least whatever it is, something like that as a way of getting to this will let you, you know, get to the inside pitch better or whatever it might be. Uh, and, you know, it's just something to keep in mind. It's not that you need to strip numbers out always with communicating things, but I encountered this on the TV side where, uh, you know, I can give a guy a note showing that this guy, this player is playing really well, even though his, you know, goals and assists output aren't showing that. The announcer doesn't have to say his XG and XA numbers are actually really good. He can just say, look, he's creating opportunities and getting opportunities. He's just not finishing. His teammates aren't finishing. So just, some, just something to keep in mind. You know, Numbers obviously are valuable. I'm not saying don't use them at all. But the communication part is sometimes as or more valuable if you want those numbers to get used. And sometimes the way to do it is to strip the numbers out. I had a history teacher in high school that would tell me and all of my classmates Listen, if you memorize the dates for an exam, that's great. And you're going to do well on the test, but you're not going to learn the history. Dates ultimately don't matter in history. I shouldn't. <laughs> that's going to get taken out of context. But, you know, dates are not as important as understanding what goes into um, a moment in history or things that happened. Same thing, you know, take the numbers out of the stats and be able to communicate to people 
what you want them to know, you know, especially in a coaching setting in a coaching environment. I mean, I'm going to say it for the 50,000th time that I've said on this podcast, but stats are best when they're used as a tool and not a crutch. And I think when you adapt and move into, um, when you adapt and you move into a, a more communic- a communicative way of relaying information, it's going to be better for both the coach and the player and the sport as a whole. Yep. All right. Thanks, Sergio. Thanks one more time to Chris Cleary for joining us on the show. Uh, Trumita's had a great year, our first year in college baseball, and we have more college baseball guests in the archives, including including Iowa's Robin Lund from our previous show. He talked a lot about using data in conjunction with sports science since he was a kinesiology prof for 17 years. We also talked to Arizona head coach Chip Hale, who also uh, was an MLB manager for a while. We talked to him earlier this year. And there's lots of MLB guests as well, Mets, Nationals, Twins guests, and more all in the archives. As always, we appreciate positive ratings and reviews on Apple and Spotify and wherever you get podcasts, along with any sharing or kind words on social media. You can follow us on Twitter at True Media Sports, T-R-U Media Sports, or email us feedback or guest suggestions. Expected value at truemedianetworks.com. We'll be back in two weeks with Sarah Rudd, one of the pioneers in soccer analytics over the last 10, 15 years, talking to her about her time with Arsenal and what she's up to in her new role with Blue Crow Sports Group. Until then, on behalf of Sergio De La Esprilla and everyone else at True Media, I'm Paul Carr. Thanks for listening to Expected Value, the podcast that goes inside the sports analytics world. 